Well, please turn your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. This week and next, we're going to be taking a break from our study in the Gospel of Luke. This morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, kind of an exhortation for us as our, our first Sunday as, as Bethany Community Church, a separate uh, uh, church with its own elders. And then next week, we're going to be looking at, uh, or Pastor Ben is going to be bringing us a message from uh, is it 1 Corinthians, is that, is that right, Ben? Yes, 1 Corinthians. So be reading up on your 1 Corinthians uh, this week, and then two weeks from today we'll be back in the Gospel of Luke. Please stand with me as we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 together. Peter writes this in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You may be seated. God bless us through his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we confess this morning that we are like grass, all of our accomplishments like the flower of the grass, and we will not endure forever in this physical body that exists right now, and we thank you for your word that tells us about life and about everlasting life and how to obtain that everlasting life through faith in your son Jesus, and we pray, Father, that you would cause us to invest in those things that will last for eternity Through your everlasting and abiding word this morning, speak, Father, we pray, and help our hearts to be open. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. There's a strange, almost obsessive quest by some elements of the church to be viewed as relevant by the world. There is a strange, almost obsessive desire for the world to look at the church or the part of some and, and, and say, yes, you matter. You speak to me. Now, the church, of course, is inherently relevant. Uh, we don't need to do anything to become relevant. We are relevant by our very nature. The church is God's vehicle for proclaiming the good news of his son, Jesus Christ. The church has been entrusted with proclaiming how men and women can be reconciled in the relationship to God. The church, by its very nature, by its very being, is the most relevant entity on the planet. And yet, sometimes we in the church don't feel that way. We want the validation of others to to look at us and say, yes, you matter. You count. I agree with you that you're relevant. because of that desire, we kind of do some strange things sometimes. If, if you remember your junior high days, or if you're in junior high right now, or anticipating junior high or middle school, uh, you remember there was that, that popular table, right? The, the table that the popular kids sat at. And, and sometimes uh, there's this desire to, to have the kids at the popular table look at you and, and want you to be at their table to recognize that you're cool too. And and we in the church sometimes want the world to look at us and say, you matter, you're cool, come sit at our table. 
I was on a website a few weeks ago, and it was describing some of the rather bizarre things that the church sometimes does in order to be viewed as, as relevant, as contemporary, as mattering. Sometimes, for example, that the website talked about some sermon series that, that some churches are preaching, and they kind of take popular culture, and they take some biblical ideas and kind of meld them together. So, for example, there was an Avatar Easter service. Because Jesus isn't cool enough on his own. You need 3D or something. Or there was a, a, a series called uh, Desperate Sex Lives or Victorious Secrets. Uh, there was also some, some, uh, give some examples of some kind of strange, uh, almost inappropriate skits that churches try to do in order to engage people. And countless rock and roll parodies like, you know, Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby. There was one for Christmas called Christ Christ Baby. Trying to be viewed as relevant by the world. It reminds me of a quote that someone in my family often quotes to me. It says, uh, whenever a church is kind of fascinated with rock and roll music, uh, you're not making rock and roll, you're not making Christianity better, you're making rock and roll worse, right? The church has this desire to be viewed as relevant, and so sometimes it causes us to do some kind of strange things in order to be viewed as relevant by the world. I have some bad news for you this morning. (laughs) We're not going to be viewed as relevant by the world, oftentimes. And spending our time chasing relevancy is a losing quest. It's investing our time in something that's not going to ultimately last. In fact, I have some further bad news for you this morning. Our church has existed as Bethany Community Church for just a moment, And yet, the clock is already ticking on Bethany Community Church. Bethany Community Church, as an institution with its own bylaws and constitution and and cool logo shirts, uh, isn't going to last forever. Bethany Community Church isn't going to make the cut into eternity. Our constitution, our bylaws are all going to (laughs) burn. In fact, this afternoon, I have the privilege of going over to Bethany Baptist Church and being involved in a building dedication. Uh, A lot of blood, sweat, tears have gone into establishing that building. That building isn't going to make it into eternity either. It's going to burn someday. It's not going to last. Here's the good news. (laughs) Bethany Community Church as an institution, Bethany Baptist Church in their new building have the opportunity to take things that are temporary and invest them in things that are eternal. This is what I want to communicate to you this morning on our inaugural Sunday, if you will. This building won't last. The Constitution that we established last week won't last. But look around this room. There are some things in this room that will last. The people who are in this room are going to last forever. The word of God is going to endure forever. All flesh is like grass the text tells us this morning 
our physical bodies as they exist right now aren't going to make it into eternity. This, this clothing that we're wearing, the, the things that, that's, that are in your wallet and purse right now aren't going to make it into eternity. But the relationships that exist in this room, you have the opportunity to invest in with the enduring word of God and have the opportunity to invest in things that are going to last forever. That's what I want to convey to us this morning as we begin this next phase in the life of our church, that we must, as a church, focus on those things that will last forever and not become enamored with those things that are transitory and temporary. In fact, the very idea of relevancy, as the world views it, means to be contemporary and and it often just refers to things that are, that are a fad, things that by their very definition aren't going to last forever. And as we focus on being relevant, we sometimes give up permanency. Let's look at First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And as we do so, here's kind of the main idea that I want you to grasp. The, the main idea is this. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ earnestly, because those relationships will endure forever. Let me say that again. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ earnestly, fervently, because those relationships will exist and endure forever. For the glory of God as we engage in worship of God for eternity. What I want to do as we go through 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22-25 through 25 this morning, is I want to look first at this commandment, the first part of this phrase, love your brothers and sisters earnestly. And then I want to secondly look at the reason for that command, because those relationships will endure forever. Let's first of all look at the command. Verse 22 says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The command there is to love your brothers and sisters in Christ earnestly. Now, let's do this as we look at this command first. I want us to first consider some assumptions that Peter brings with him as he gives this command. Where does he give the command? He gives it in the last part of verse 22. The first part of verse 22, we see some assumptions that Peter has as he's talking to these believers. Let me give you kind of three assumptions that he has before he gives the command, and then we'll look at some things about the command as well. The first assumption that Peter has is that he's writing to people who are believers, He says, uh, verse 22, the very first part, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. That phrase, obedience to the truth, means that these people have heard the gospel message and they've responded to it in faith. They've been obedient to it. Let me read a passage from Romans chapter 10 that kind of has the same idea. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul writes, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news see it in chronological order Uh, a person is sent a person is sent and they proclaim the good news of jesus christ as they proclaim the good news of jesus christ to people people hear it and then what do people do ideally they believe it right they believe the good news now look at what he says next In verse 16, he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Some people hear it and don't believe. 
what I'm saying is this, this phrase, obeyed the truth, means to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and obey it. That is, place one's faith in it, one's trust in it. Peter's expectation, his assumption as he gives this command, is that he's writing to people who've heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and as they've heard the good news of Jesus Christ, they've said, yes, that's true, I believe it, they've obeyed it, and as they've obeyed it, this is part of his assumption as well, there's been progressive sanctification, greater holiness that has taken place in their life. He says, you've purified your souls by obedience to the truth. That is, in a moment of time, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and it was a living faith, and that living faith that you had in Jesus Christ has continued to produce fruit. First Peter chapter 1 conveys this idea in several ways. He talks about how their faith has been been proven, the, the genuineness of their faith has been proven. It's been tested by fire and suffering, and it results in glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is about to give this command, love your brothers and sisters earnestly. He has a couple assumptions. First assumption is that he's writing to believers. These are people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and it's a purifying faith. It's continued to have effects in their life. Here's his second assumption. His second assumption is that as a person has become a part of the community of faith, they gain a family. He's assuming that family relationships exist in the church. I worked for a guy in college, very interesting character. He was a man who had made millions and lost millions and made millions, and I think whenever I knew him, he was kind of in the lost millions phase. He was a, a guy who had worked with Ross Perot and Bill Gates and, and guys like that, and uh, now he owned a mom-and-pop Christian bookstore. And if you're, a very, if you're kind of a neat freak, this would not be a store that you'd want to walk into. It's very overwhelming, just kind of piles of books and things all over the place. Along one wall of this Christian bookstore were really, really old computers. And when I walked into the store, and uh, he kind of hired me off the street, actually, and he said, uh, he said, Daniel, what do you see right there as he showed me these computers? I said, I see a bunch of junky old computers. He said, no, no, no. Those are not junky old computers. Those are Bible study software. And what he had done is he had taken, like, first-generation personal computers. I mean, no hard drive, nothing. He had, and had gotten some shareware, some, some uh, software you could get for free, on these old, you know, five-and-a-half-inch floppy disks you guys know what floppy disks are you know back whenever a floppy disk really was floppy you could flop it around and and you would insert this bible study software disk into the computer and you had this bible study software center okay and what he would do the guy was an amazing salesman i mean he was constantly selling and this is what he would do he would turn on these uh bible study software machines and when they'd warmed up 30 minutes later uh, he would he would take people to them, and he'd take them to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. I can still see him in my mind doing this. He did it all the time. And he'd come to this passage, and he'd say, read it out loud. And so the person, they'd read in the King James or something, he says, uh, obedience to the faith, sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He says, what does that mean? He says, I don't know. He says, well, and he'd turn on the computer, he'd show them the software and says, look, there's two different types of love here. 
You can't understand it because you're reading it in English. But the Greek has two different words here. The first type of love is a a brotherly love, the Philadelphia love. The second type of love is agape love. Now, I don't believe that you need to know Greek to understand that, but I think you do need to see the distinctions of the two different types of love that Peter's talking about here. He says, uh, first of all, he is assuming that because they place their faith in Jesus Christ, and Peter's right about this, by the way, they've entered into relationships with other believers. His assumption is, and he is correct, that whenever you become a follower of Christ, when you become a Christian, when you become a believer and your life is transformed, you enter into a new family. Family relationships now exist in the church. Remember when we were going through Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus Christ destroyed the walls of separation between us. He says, now in Christ Jesus, you, this is Ephesians 2.13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Peter is assuming that new relationships exist in the church because people have placed their faith in the gospel. They become a part of this new family. Now understand this. This type of relationship that existed in the church in the first century was scandalous. This brotherly love, to apply the word Philadelphia as the early church applied it, was a scandal in Roman eyes. How could you have brotherly love with someone of a different ethnicity than you? How could this familial love pass between people of different social classes? It was ridiculous. It was scandalous. And it was assumed by Peter. As you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the barriers, whatever barrier, whatever human barrier you want to construct for yourself, no longer exists. You're brought into relationship with one another. Family relationships exist in the church. The Christian life is not meant to be lived individually, but communally. In fact, look again at verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Verse 23 says, since you have been born again, Here's our temptation in our North American culture. Our temptation is to read that as second person singular. You, meaning like one person, you. He's talking to you. And you're reading, oh, he's talking to me, Daniel Bennett. That's, it's plural. He's talking to the church at large. Peter's assumption is that we, first of all, placed our faith in Jesus Christ. His assumption is, secondly, that we've become part of this, this new family. His third assumption is this, before he gives this command. His assumption is that there is a tendency towards disunity in the church. Because of the condition of our hearts, because of the nature of who we are, there's a tendency, even though we're brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a tendency to not have this earnest agape love. There's something within us that causes us to to separate There exists within the human heart the tendency for disunity. Sometimes it's just simply a a passive type of disunity. 
sometimes we just simply don't make the effort in order to have the relationships that God calls us to have. This is true even in a family, right? I was telling Whitney yesterday, we're getting ready to leave for Texas this week, and we're going to be going down there for my brother's wedding. And I said, you know what? Uh, I'm really looking forward to the car ride. She goes, oh, you're being sarcastic again. I said, no, no, no. I'm excited about the time in the car with you. We're trapped there together. There's not, no, I can't take any phone calls. We can't be doing things. We're going to get to spend time in the car together. Even in a marriage where people love one another deeply, the, the, the cares of this world and the things that we're involved in kind of pull us apart sometimes. Happens in a family. Time apart means separation. I was talking to my son Noah. We were gone Thursday and fr- Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at this, at this conference. Uh, part of Wednesday and Thursday and Friday at this conference, and uh, our boys went and stayed at the Jenkins home, and uh, the Chambers graciously took in our daughters, and we all got together again as a family on Saturday. And I was talking to the kids, and I looked at our uh, some he's some age four year four year old little boy, and I said uh, I said Noah, didn't you didn't you miss your family? I said, didn't you miss being around your, they're kind of playing around, he goes, didn't you miss your sisters? And he goes, huh, I forgot I had sisters. <laughs> I said, yeah, but you, you didn't forget about your daddy, right? He goes, no, I did. He goes, but I didn't forget about mommy. <laughs> I said, yeah, but you didn't think about her very much. He goes, dad, I thought about her all the time. You're hilarious, son. It's a tendency in our human... Time apart means lack of unity. It just, it's how the human heart is. There's a tendency towards disunity. There's also active things that we do that cause lack of unity. We, we actively seek our own instead of what's best for one another. Okay, so that's the context in which Paul gives this instruction. Look what he said, or Peter gives this instruction. He says now, that's my, my assumption is that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's had ongoing effects. That you're part of this new family. That there's a tendency in your heart toward disunity. Now here's the instruction. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Four things about this instruction. First of all, he calls them to agape love. He says love, and, and biblically the definition of love is sacrificing of yourself for the benefit of another person. Romans 5.8 talks about God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Love, love one another. Who are we to love? We're to love the, the brothers and sisters in, in Christ first and foremost, and, and whom we have a relate with whom we have a relationship. Love one another earnestly. This love that we're to have is not to be this passive love. We're to look actively at the brothers and sisters around us in church and say, How can I benefit them with my conduct? What can I do for them to sacrifice of myself and benefit whatever it is that they need? And this takes place, he says, fourthly, from a pure heart. It's not something that naturally we are equipped to do. It takes the life-changing, life-transforming message of the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit, to allow us to be able to engage in this type of love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart that's god's instruction for us this does not happen accidentally it's purposeful first john chapter three we see this love described as well 
John writes, for this, this is First John chapter 3, verse 11. John writes, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He says, verse 14, in fact, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the, the brothers. Whoever does not, whoever does not love abides in death. Verse 16, by this we know love. Listen to this. This is the definition of love here. By this we know love that he, Christ, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What is the instruction here about relationships in the church? All of us have entered into this relationship, this family, through faith in Jesus Christ and now because there's a tendency toward disunity, Peter's injunction, God's injunction to us is to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Catch this. Relationships within the church are not based on mutual benefit. Let me say that again. Relationships in the church are not based upon mutual benefit. My relationship with you cannot must not be based on what you can provide me. My relationship with you is based on Christ-exalting sacrifice. My goal in my relationship with you is to lay down my life for you. That is Christ-exalting love. That is the nature, the type of love that must exist within Bethany Community Church. And it's a message we need to think about from day one of this next phase of the life of our church, right? I kind of think of it in concentric circles as well. Within my family, my responsibility is to love my wife. And then together, my wife and I are to love our children. That's kind of the next circle. And then my children and my family are to lay down our lives for the people in this church. And then our our church is to to lay down our our lives for, for other churches. For example, as we talk about our relationship with, with our, our brothers and sisters at Bethany Baptist Church, our, our question is not what can they do to benefit us or how can we keep things fair or, or what can be mutually beneficial to one another. Our question as we think about our brothers and sisters at Bethany Baptist Church is how can we benefit them? How can we lay down our lives for them? How within this church can I lay down my life for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Let me say this uh, in great love. Some of us, some of us need to think long and hard about our relationships with other people in this church. Whenever a couple comes in for marital counseling, I ask them this question. I say, tell me, how are decisions made in your family? How do you decide, if you have young children, how do you decide who's going to do the diapers? How do you decide who's going to take out the trash? How do you decide who's going to do the dishes? And Here's a warning sign. A warning sign occurs whenever a couple says, well, here's how we do it. And they're able to lay out a very complex system of rules and regulations and trade-offs as to who does what and how they determine whose turn it is to do what. I say, look, 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 look. This isn't Congress, you know. (laughs) This isn't some sort of international treaty. This is a marriage. And your constant goal should be to serve one another because that's the essence of love. And in a marriage relationship where there are rules and regulations and there's turns and my turn to do this and my turn to do that and your turn to do this, there's problems. (laughs) Maybe not severe problems yet, but the heart in a marriage relationship needs to be sacrifice. 
constantly desiring to serve the other party. The same is true within relationships in the church. Peter's command, love your brothers and sisters earnestly. Why? Look at verses 23 through 25. Why do we do this? Because, he writes, those relationships will endure forever. Verse 23, kind of follow his progression here. First of all, he reminds them of the fact that they've been born again. He says, uh, you've, uh, verse 23, since you have been born again, that is, at that time that you're you were obedient to the truth. A, something radically, something radical happened in your life. Your life was transformed. You became born again. There's something new about who you are at your very essence. We w- talked about this as we went through the, the epistle to the Ephesians. There's something new about who you are. You're fundamentally changed. Now, how did that take place? It took place through the communication of the gospel that was in God's word. He says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You heard God's truth as proclaimed in his scripture. And as you heard that gospel message, you received it as truth and your life was transformed. He says, therefore, there's a contrast between the physical world and the spiritual world. You and I have been born again into the spiritual world uh, through obedience to God's abiding word. And we have left aside those things that perish. In fact, look up earlier at verse 18. He says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited for your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ talks about your faith and hope are in God. So you've been born again. You were born again by the imperishable word of God. And now, because you're part of this new family that's all been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to invest in these relationships that are going to endure forever for God's glory. In fact, he draws an interesting contrast here. Look at verse 24. He draws a contrast between the physical world that's passing away and God's word that endures forever. He says, all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. That is, all humanity in our physical bodies are, are like grass. And all of our accomplishments, the great things that we've done, are like the flower of grass. And he says, the grass withers and the flower falls. That should be a very sobering statement for us, right? Everything about us that, that's physical is going to perish. Now, we're going to have resurrected bodies, but, but they aren't the same bodies that we have right now. They're going to be glorified. And what we exist as right now is not going to make it into eternity. The physical realm is a temporary realm as it exists right now. There's going to be a physical realm in the future, but it's different from the one that exists right now. All of our accomplishments, those things that we strive so hard to obtain, aren't going to make it into eternity. That job promotion that you so desperately desire isn't going to make the cut. That project that you've been working on so diligently in school isn't going to make it. There are a myriad of things that our hearts are transfixed upon at times that aren't going to make it into eternity. They're like the flower that merely withers away. 
And like the grass that dies, so are our lives. But the word of God endures forever. And we have the opportunity to take that which is temporal and invest it in that which is eternal. Love your brothers in Christ earnestly because those relationships will endure forever. Let me give you three applications here about how you love your brothers and sisters. Three applications here as we think about our responsibility as Bethany Community Church from this day forward. The first way that you love your brother and sister is you love your brothers and sisters as you understand that temporal things are, are assets to be used for eternal investments. You love your brothers and sisters in Christ as you understand that, that temporal things are, are assets to be used for eternal investments and not the other way around, right? Obviously, I think it's a good thing to have a, a constitution and, and bylaws for a church. I think it's a wonderful thing for a church to have a, a, a new building. I think it's, it's wonderful to have really cool logo shirts, okay? I think I look very okay in mine. But what are those things for? <laughs> we don't have logo shirts to exalt our name, right? We don't have a constitution to be a, uh, just to be a church to be a church. We don't just think our document's really cool and so we want to pass it out to people. We don't think we have a building so that we can have a building and, and look really cool as people drive by. We don't do it to exalt our own name. We have these things because they're instruments to be used for the glory of God. Bethany Community Church exists not so that we can fill a place in five points, but so that the relationships that exist in this room can endure into eternity. We love our brothers and sisters as we understand that these temporal assets are to be used for eternal investments. Secondly, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ as you invest in relationships as you invest in relationships. Uh, some of us need to get off our spiritual and physical backsides. I use that term in its theological sense. And invest in relationships. It's hard. It's difficult work. But God has not called you to Bethany Community Church to sit in these nice, comfortable seats. He's not called you to listen passively while the word of God is proclaimed to you. He's not called you to come to Bethany Community Church in order to listen to great teaching in the Sunday school class or to drink coffee in the hallway. God has called you to be a part of Bethany Community Church because of the people in this room and the people outside this room that he wants to someday have worshiping him as well. As you leave this morning, I want you to look at the people around you. And I want you, the prayer of your heart to be, God, help me to love these people and invest in them. Remember, relationships in the world are characterized by mutual benefit. How is this person going to benefit me? 
That's how work relationships are sometimes. How can this work relationship, this connection be, be beneficial to me? That's not how relationships are the, in the church are. I hadn't planned on sharing this. I still may not. <laughs> this week at the conference, it was, uh, it was a new feeling to kind of be a, around a lot of people and talking about a subject and and uh, <laughs> this sounds really arrogant, and and not not have people know uh, know who I was at all, right? I'm used to Bethany Community Church, uh, and I enjoy it sometimes. Whenever we all leave here, and I say hi to you in the hallways, and you don't know who I am, it's kind of funny. Um, but I, I'm used to people knowing my name at least. It, it was a new experience for me to to be in these. You know, I went to breakfast, some small rooms, and and. Uh, no one, no one knows, and it's very kind of a, an alienating feeling. Our tendency is to say, why aren't people, this is just my, my heart, why aren't people asking me who I am? They would really enjoy getting to know me. <laughs> That's not the biblical attitude toward relationships, is it? How can I come into this room and put myself out there and engage in loving these people? Because God has called me to not love people passively, not love people casually, not love people conveniently, but to love your brothers and sisters in Christ earnestly, proactively, passionately. Because just as passionately as you pursue your your success in work or success with your family, understand that these relationships that you're investing in right now are even greater. They have eternal benefit. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You love them as you, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ as you invest in relationships. And notice this too. Notice this too. Our temptation is to say there aren't people like me. I want people to, to be like me as I have these relationships. And I, I struggle with this as well sometimes. Uh, just being frank here. That's good that there aren't people like you, Right? It was a scandal. It was a scandal in the early church the way that people from different classes and ethnicities associated with one another and called one another not just acquaintances but brothers and sisters. May our church be just as scandalous. May the world look at the relationships that exist within our church and be scandalized as they're amazed at the unity that exists because of the transforming work of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ as you communicate the word of God. Now, let me just be honest. I'm not against, I'm not against some of the things that I kind of mentioned at the beginning. I'm not, I'm not against rock and roll music in the church. I'm not against uh, skits. I'm not against be- being contemporary in and of itself. What my concern is, is that our fascination with the temporary shifts our focus from that which is permanent. I don't have time to come up with a lot of cute things on a Sunday, right? (laughs) Not because the cute things are bad necessarily, but because we have to focus on that which is most important. You demonstrate your love toward the people in this room, the people beyond the walls of this church, as you communicate the word of God to them. What's going to endure forever? 
It's not a very long list. The things will last forever. God's love, people, God, his word. Not a lot. It's not a very long list. You and I must invest in those things that will last forever. This past week, I got my uh, Time magazine and listed the most 100 influential people in the world. None of us in here made the cut. In fact, I couldn't find anyone that had made the cut that was an evangelical Christian, and certainly uh, not one that had made the cut because they were an evangelical Christian proclaiming the Word of God. If our focus is on being viewed by the world as relevant, it's a losing proposition. It's not going to happen. And yet, Bethany Community Church, we have the opportunity to invest in one another as we love one another earnestly because these relationships will last forever for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that endures forever. Help us to communicate it effectively to one another. May it be the the center of our communication with one another as we seek to proclaim your good news to the world and continue to proclaim your gospel to the church. We pray this in your name. Amen.